Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. All the ladies, all the fellas, and all the people who don't give a fuck about gender norms, you already know what it is. It's Floyd Johnson, your boy, Patty Johnson, his friend Rob, and introducing international super guest, Ben Mitchell. <laughs> that was fantastic. I think we might we might keep that anyway, and then just cut it up like for the rest of the shows that we do. Yeah, that's like, it's like that. um it's like having a hype man. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that's why I had dinner early tonight. I needed the energy for that. <laughs> yeah, did you have to psych yourself up? Yeah, 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 a lot of lot of jumping up and down before I came. Yeah, so yeah, it's our it's our second guest episode. We're very pleased to welcome. Australian guest Ben Mitchell. So it's the first time we've ever recorded across different time zones. Ben is a comics artist, illustrator, design genius, and worldwide Linkin Park expert. So welcome to the show. That's right. Thank yeah, you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be the second guest. I like honestly I thought that I was gonna be the first, but um I'm happy to just be the first international guest, I guess. Yeah. Johnny Johnny's from England, right? Like he's Yeah. Again, we, we knew we knew him already. He's from Croydon. Of course. That's yeah, that's a city. All right, cool. Uh, I'm from Newcastle, um, which is which is also a city uh, where you are as well, I assume. But mine's in New South Wales, Australia, so it's near Sydney. I could mm-hmm. I could catch a train to Sydney if I wanted to. Right, but it's better than Sydney, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. We got yeah, we have um, more beaches, I assume. Yes, <laughs> good beaches. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. How are we all feeling, boys? Good, good. Well, obviously, it's the evening for you, but it's the morning for us. So we just got up, as you said. Rob's Rob's lying in bed in a um, a new metal coma. I'm in <laughs> I'm in my spare room, ready to rock. So yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling good. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about Linkin Park. I thought we were going to talk about Deftones because you were in a Deftones city, but that was our other episode. So I'm getting yeah. I don't even know what day it is anymore. That's the thing about um, COVID nineteen, isn't it? And the lockdown and stuff. I just like I have no idea what day it is, what time it is, what's going on. Yeah, is it is it Linkin Park Day? Is it Deftones yeah. Day? Is it Disturbed Day? <laughs> oh, Never tell. Yeah, <laughs> not yet. I, so I just finished listening to that episode, uh, the the Deftones one. And by listen, I mean sorry, by by finished, I mean like I just took my headphones off about halfway through because I ran out of time. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. I don't know how they where they uh, made it on the rating yet. Yeah. This is true. The, the the all important rating scale, which uh, which we'll get to, which we'll get to. I hope you made notes for your for your ratings, by the way. Oh, oh no! Like I figured, I would like I wrote down what the like criteria are, but I figured I'd just let it. Like I, I want to bounce off the boys for the the actual rating at the end. Good call. I've been thinking Good about call. this for like three months. I'm I'm ready to talk about Lincoln Park. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Yeah, cool. So so kick us off in 2000. Hybrid Theory comes out. What's um what's Young Ben up to at this point, and how would you how did Lincoln Park fit into your your musical journey? Okay, so. The year's 2000. Um, the Olympics have happened in Sydney. Um, oh, I'm a tiny yeah. little baby boy. Yeah, I should um, I should let the the listeners know that I'm a little bit younger than the two of you. So I'm uh, I was born in 1991. So I'm 28 years old. Um, so when my like prime Lincoln Park experience, I would have been like age I want to say like nine to age 13, which is a you know it's a big time in any boy's life. Yeah. Um, and I feel like. I I would have discovered them probably through the song In the End, which I would have seen on the television, like via music videos. Mm-hmm. And um, 
then I just I, I went into it hard. I like I got that album and I had it on cassette as well as on um, CD, and I got like all over the internet. I was like the the internet was new to me at the time, so I was I was using it to read like Sonic the Hedgehog's fan fiction, and then once I had graduated from that, it was like straight into Linkin Park, and um, yeah, that was that was pretty good. But I and then like they, they put out like a, a DVD as well. Um, mm-hmm. like straight after hybrid theory. I know that I'm, I'm, I'm jumping into it a bit, a bit much, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was all about that. Um, I felt like they were my friends. I loved, uh, I loved hanging out with Chester and Mike in that DVD, but, uh, through the internet, like I got real deep into like their B sides and demo recordings and, and all of that it was like one of the first, uh, times I understood what a demo was and um, the, how you could sort of like watch a song grow by looking at different versions of it. And I, um, I felt like I was far superior to all the other people who were listening to, um, you know, the, the final version of um, With You and, and In The End when I knew what the real lyrics were uh, before they got, uh, you know, pushed down by whoever's working at Warner or whatever it was, yeah. <laughs> trying to punch it all up. Where the record label decides that we we need a single or whatever, like as we talked about in the Deftones episode with them um, White Pony and the thing holding with Back to School. But yeah, oh wow, to have them be the band who um, got you to understand kind of how music is put together in that way—that's amazing. That's such an incredible formative experience, and I think that like that's what's great about new metal is I think it was so many of us would have had that experience through that as well. I think which is kind of partly why we're doing this, right, Rob? It's not just nostalgia, but it's like we want to un help people to understand that new metal was actually really formative for a lot of people yes for sure i mean it and i think it's the same for a lot of us isn't it who, who are of that sort of um age when when these bands came out they helped us understand you know understand the industry more they understand the, the workings of music i know that without those kind of formative years i certainly wouldn't have um been able to put together so much by way of, of production in, in in albums and things like that it really helped transform my awareness of of what music was um and and linkin park was definitely a, a big part of that um they were really unhappy to transformative in that way yeah, uh, so, i'm happy i wasn't the only one yeah so so paddy how did you uh how did you find linkin park how, what was your first experience of linkin park yeah, I think it must have been, it was either 2000 or 2001, because it was, I was aware of them before we got cable TV and we had the Kerrang! TV channel, which is the thing that I always I always talk about quite a lot, um, is, is as soon as we got cable, I was like so stoked to have it because we had Kerrang! and I could go and see all the bands that I liked, like Linkin Park, but I think maybe I was reading the magazine before, so someone at school must have gotten me into reading Kerrang! the magazine, and they were in there, and I remember seeing pictures of them. And then, like, someone at school had somehow had, like, a copy of one of their videos on a VCD or a disc or something that we played on a computer in the library at school or something like that. And it was the video, I think it's One Step Closer, where they're all, like, floating around and they've got all the spiky hair. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this in my whole life. These guys have, like, red hair and they're in vests and they're, like, really aggressive. And it's like, I remember being, like, vaguely freaked out by it, but then thinking it was good. And somehow my dad must have known because Christmas that year I got Hybrid Theory and I think I also got with a CD of Hybrid Theory and also um, the Rage Against the Machine Renegades album because Rage Against the Machine were like my gateway to all of this um, but obviously they started much earlier one of my friends at school Scott got me into Rage Against the Machine and then that was like that opened me up to all of this but then yeah I don't know my dad must have somehow cottoned on that I liked Linkin Park and I also got, I think it was the same Christmas, oh no, I think it was a few Christmases later, I got a Rage Against the Machine t-shirt. 
and it just said rage on it and i wore it on christmas day and my granddad was like oh it's a band hey eh? what are they in a rage about <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that the, the machine, machine is oh, sorry, you capitalism. capitalism that's all that's all i had to say <laughs> i i think that Linkin Park were probably my first foray into like actual band merchandise as well. But I didn't have like a shirt with just their logo on it. I had like one of those uh, like market style shirts where it was just like a bunch of superimposed photos of them all over the front. Um, and then the exact same thing in black and white on the back. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. I had like three of those. Uh, so that was pretty cool. All XL, even though I was a tiny, <laughs> tiny boy. Um, and I would wear them like with me like a big necklace. Oh boy! You mean like adult XL size? <laughs> so it'd be like a basketball jersey on young nine-year-old fan. Yeah, yeah, that's it was cool as hell. Yeah, this was two thousand and one. Good times. Fantastic. Yeah, we had um, there's a market in Camden in London where you'd go to buy those kind of like counterfeit T-shirts. That was yeah, that was a really big thing. I had so many of those, and like out, outside gigs, people would sell them as well. You'd go outside the show and there'd be like all these like weird cockney cockney blokes with like shaved heads going, Get your band t shirts, totally legit merch and then you'd wash it once and it would come out with just like half of the Metallica logo left on it. Oh, <laughs> Metallica spelled wrong as well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Metallica. <laughs> can I can I just tell you about that I have I have very few regrets in my life, but one of them is that I was in a market in France and I saw the greatest counterfeit t-shirt that i'd ever seen in my life um which was mickey mouse looking very angry wearing a dollar sign bandana with the text underneath saying only god can judge me <laughs> and oh i i i thought at the time it's like i really want this t-shirt and i decided you know what no it's a waste of money and every so often i just think about it and think God, I wish I had that T-shirt. I wish I could just turn up to work in that T-shirt. <laughs> How old were you? show it off. Um, this was when I was about 23, 24. Exactly, exactly. No, no, it was, it was when I was definitely an adult. Um, but yeah, it was, it was something special, that shirt. I'm going to track that shirt one down. One day we'll meet again. <laughs> I'm going to track that shirt down and buy it for you so you can wear it on Zoom calls with your co-workers. You just like, ang <laughs> angle the camera down, just like, oh, yeah, hi, how's it going? Yeah, hi, yeah. <laughs> how are you? Do you like Mickey Mouse? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, so, Rob, Linkin Park for you. Tell us about the kind of the first time, the formative years, etc. So, for me, um, funnily enough, it comes back to France again. So, I was on holiday um and watching a french music channel and the video for one step closer came on but the, the the version that was shown in europe was different from the one that was shown in the uk so although it had all of them looking very furious of multicolored hair in that green sewer or whatever it is that they're in in that video um it was also on the soundtrack to a film called Das Experiment, which is a film um that kind of fictionalizes the Stanford Prison Experiment um where uh, do you do you both know the Stanford Prison Experiment? I don't. I, know I, I do not. I'm sorry. So it was a, a a psychological experiment where they took random people, and some of them were designated as prisoners in a prison, and some of them were designated as guards, and they basically watched them over a period of time to see how they reacted. And obviously, the people who were guards eventually became more callous and brutal, and and saw the people who were prisoners as as less than they were. 
um and there's all sorts of controversies around it it wasn't a very good scientific experiment but it was an interesting one and it's become notorious over time um and there was a german adaptation of this story that made it a, a bit more brutal and a bit sillier um and linkin park was on the soundtrack to that so interspersed with our favorite boys being angry in a sewer there was also then this footage from this very disturbing movie and i remember watching it and thinking bloody hell this is amazing this is like it was the the most uncomfortable I'd felt watching a music video since watching Firestarter by The Prodigy a few years earlier. And it had that same kind of great reaction to me. And I thought, oh, these guys are really cool. And yeah, I think that must have been the summer of 2000. And when, when I came back, I was like, oh, I need to buy this album and, and did so and absolutely fell in love with it. That that hybrid theory is incredible. Such a such a great album. Yeah, from start to finish, it is it's it's a masterpiece. And actually, having yet yeah, listened to it recently, I think it really, really holds up. And especially like Paper Cut is such an incredible opening track with that little that little drum beat, and it builds perfectly into it. And you're like, okay, this is guitar music, but like I'd never heard those kind of like scratchy drums or that have the the kind of the turntablist stuff. I think Linkin Park was probably one of the first bands I heard that had that. So it was also a gateway to all the new metal stuff. And they were obviously yeah, we, you had Deftones doing that stuff, but I didn't become aware of Deftones until a bit later. So I think yeah, Linkin Park really opened opened all this stuff up for me. Was it the same for you guys? Yeah. I'm it's such a relief to hear you speaking nicely about this album straight off the bat and that we're not just going to dunk on it the whole time because uh yeah it, it's very close to my heart as well no way but uh yeah <laughs> this is a dunk free zone yeah i'm happy to hear it i'm happy to hear it until we get to disturbed obviously <laughs> yeah at the moment we're talking about the bands that, that hold a special place in our heart eventually eventually we'll be talking about you know, mushroom head, mud vein, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, but for that, yeah. I, I reckon Taproot's going to surprise us, Paddy. I remember liking them when I was a, a, a wee lad. I cannot recall um, a single Taproot song. So this is. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon. I reckon they're going to hold up. That's my gut instinct. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I, I, I kind of fell into listening to some of these bands around the same time. So I think I probably heard deftones before um but hadn't really made a correlation between them in terms of what music i liked and and, and what kind of style or what subgenres they were in and i think linkin park were really even if they weren't necessarily the first band that i heard they were they were the first one that i really fell in love with and then did offer this gateway into and and that context into okay so this is new metal um i quite like this this doesn't sound like my dad's old black sabbath records um, which, which I, you know, I, I love Black Sabbath, but there was something very different and very, very modern about them. Um, and, you know, what, what you listen to it and you can contextualize Linkin Park as something modern and something new, um, purely through the way that the production was very similar to pop music and things like that. You know, it, it had all of that. It didn't feel like music for old people. And I think that's part of the reason why so many, so many people were able to latch onto it in an, in an era where even things like the grunge scene felt old to people of our generation. Um, it, it was kind of something for us in a way. Yeah. I think that being said, it was still like super inoffensive. Like they never really did any swears on that album or anything. Like it was still uh, like on par with pop music in the way that it felt, um, it felt like you were allowed to be angry or sad when you were listening to it, but like, it's still cool to do it if your parents are in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that actually I had never really thought about that 
in in depth, but it's nowhere near Limp Biscuit, is it? Where that's like that's the music that's going to annoy your dad. Linkin Park, your dad's just probably going to be like, "What is this? I don't know. Eh, whatever. It's fine. It's it sounds like pop music." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's supportive, but yeah, he put on um, put on Limp Biscuit. It's like, oh no, none of that. And Rage Against the Machine. It was like, yeah, it's got lots lots of f bombs in it all over it. See, I don't think Linkin Park swore in a song until two thousand and seven. Wow. Apart yeah. apart from things on their sort of uh, B sides and and like their their rare tracks, I think in terms of their officially released albums, I don't think it, I think it was Minutes to Midnight was the first time that they swore. Um, the, the, those first two albums are um, very, very radio friendly, very parent friendly. Um, yeah, they're squeaky clean until you hear them like live, and then everything that they say in between the songs, they get all of it out of their system. Then, and then once the drums <laughs> kick in, it's like, yeah, but that's a very new metal thing as well, isn't it? Just in between, in between songs when you're playing live, being like, "Are you fucking ready to fucking yeah, yeah, yeah." it is great it is great it's interesting that you mentioned deftones before because i that's like still one of my favorite bands today but i got into them through lincoln park because i heard a live recording of them covering my own summer have you heard that this would have been ages ago like when they were probably first touring like their ep um and they didn't have enough songs and they did some covers but yeah that was my first context with deftones and then um eventually I heard, I probably heard Back to School or Street Cup or like Roots. I think that was in a skateboarding video game. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, and, yeah. then, uh, and then the rest was history. Sweet. I, I was not aware of that cover. I will have to check that out. See, Linkin Park have done a, done a, done a fair few good covers over the years. They've, I think, you know, regardless of, of what people think of their music, they've, they're really screwed on when it comes to the bands that influence them. And, and you can hear it very clearly in their, in their music because I, they did a cover of Wish by Nine Inch Nails a few times as well. Um, and you know, you can definitely feel those through roads of like that more radio friendly industrial scene that, that Nine Inch Nails did. Um, and you know, the, the, the sort of, um, more melodic elements that that deftones had in comparison to other bands of the era uh you can definitely kind of feel all of that coming through their music and, and forming this very cohesive sound um yeah which it's is, like which is a, quite impressive it's like a bit of a hybrid theory that they've that they've got going there <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> thanks boy that's good that's good you were waiting you're waiting for that one you, you, you got it pinned up to the joke board just like and then the next one's got to be Meteora. That's that's a bit of a harder one to to drop in. I'll I'll see what I can do, Patty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I think like specifically talking about pro- production, that is pretty interesting. In that, like a lot of their songs will start with a sample, and then the guitars will kick in. But I was listening to like I just put on Hybrid Theory when I was running the other day, and I was surprised at how much I was enjoying um, like by myself and Forgotten, which are like they're basically just yeah. rock song rock songs that have rapping in them. Uh, and it felt more like something that you would see at like a club, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it felt like a, a lot less produced and more like something that a band was doing. Yeah, yeah, sure. I can, I can definitely see that. There's, there's certain songs on that album that are, you know, you, you can feel that that metal element in there. Which, I mean, we'll talk about how they evolved over time, um, maybe in a little bit when we look at their their later stuff. Um, but, but that, that first album hybrid for there is definitely the one with the, 
with the most metal heavy guitars and although there's moments where they went punkier later in their in their career when you've got things like um like as you mentioned uh by myself has that real sort of metal groove to it um those kind of things slowly went away but i think that's part of the reason why that first album felt so punchy is that yes there's lots of pop hooks but also there's um there's also that fury behind it which which feels very um very strong very powerful very real um and and i think that's why so many people were able to latch onto it um in terms of sort of like recognizing that kind of energy in it in themselves yeah, and I think it appealed again. I said this about Limp Biscuit as well, but like the the kids at school who weren't who were more like mainstream and weren't into much kind of alternative music and were only sort of into pop music or mainstream stuff were into Limp Biscuit because it was you know chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water and the Mission Impossible song and all that stuff and like yeah, I thought Break Stuff was a funny song, but those guys liked Linkin Park as well because I think their music was was actually really really accessible and had all those hooks, but that didn't have all the swearing all the stuff that was going to annoy their conservative dads it was like i can yeah i can get down with this but as you say rob that that fury was always there and that kind of the emotion in the lyrics actually i think listening to it now as a, as a you know 31 32 year old man actually still i really really feel it in a way i didn't expect to and i think that might just be because it hit us at a time of sort of very very early nascent teen angst where i was i really identified with the lyrics of songs like in the end and in particularly numb as well jumping to the next album but the stuff like that right? like i actually genuinely really felt that i think that the lyrics and stuff do actually still hold up really well as well and that was like most people i think can engage with that on an emotional level probably a lot more than most of new metal Oh yeah, you compare Linkin Park to Limp Biscuit, and which one, <laughs> which one is more empathetic yeah. as a musical yeah. experience? Um, yeah, and Linkin Park is, is is shades above it. Um, one thing that I I notice, and it's something I've wanted to bring up across a few episodes of this, is I I love Chester Bennington a lot. Um, he's one of my favourite frontmen of all time, and what. What I really love about a lot of new metal is that a lot of the bands felt unique from one another, not just because of their musical style. I mean, you listen to Korn, you listen to Limp Bizkit, you listen to Deftones, you listen to Linkin Park, all of them sound very different from one another. Um, but also they had really unique vocalists where, you know, Chester Bennington doesn't sound like anybody else. Jonathan Davis doesn't sound like anybody else. Fred Durst, bless him. No one sounds like Fred <laughs> Durst. Um, and, and that's something where I think maybe new metal was the last big genre that took over the mainstream that had that level of uniqueness in vocal quality where when you're thinking about what came after new metal, you've got the indie rock scene where every single bloody vocalist sounded exactly the same. Then you've got yeah, and and you go on like can any of you just describe to me the unique quality of the lead singer of catfish in the bottle <laughs> <laughs> have they it's made like it the... to australia ben catfish in the bottle uh, it, it has not i'm sorry it, at least it hasn't made it to me <laughs> no that's good you're not you're not that's good you're, you're really not missing <laughs> out but but every band you know the the only big band i can think of these days that has a unique vocalist is 21 pilots where you listen to 21 pilots and you can hear oh yeah this is a 21 pilots song i can this this vocalist doesn't sound like anybody else but you listen to most other like band music there's there's certain uh solo vocalists that sound unique of course um but most bands the the the, the vocalists sound so generic and 
you know that that that's also something magical about new metal which i think has been lost is you don't get that quality anymore in bands sorry to sound like an old man but music these <laughs> back days back in my day <laughs> yeah wow yeah, yeah people, yeah, you people make, you think make that, a good point people think the new metal is really homogenous but actually it's it's not really and, it's, and bands like think linkin park as you say i think a real proof of that and chester bennington and mike shinoda as well the way they bounced off each other the having the that kind of the two two lead vocalists and the difference between his singing and the rapping and all that stuff i think the way they bounced off each other was really unique as well how did you feel about mike rob i i really liked him um i feel as though and it was it's it's always been interesting that they they're one of the people that had one of the most obvious rap elements to their music early on um versus um you you listen to fred durst rap and it's <laughs> it, it is it is you know god god bless him he's trying but um he he doesn't feel like a, a a truly good rap artist whereas i think mike does and what what i really enjoyed was is almost this relaxed style to his rapping it, it feels very sort of laid back and i think um <clears throat> one of one of the things about um about his style um it, and and something that kind of came across in Linkin Park's music quite a lot in the early years is how similar it felt to things like DJ Shadow in terms of the way that the samples played off against the hip hop elements, against the rapping, where it's it's laid back. And although there is that intensity of the lyrics, um, they really get to the core of what a lot of the rap scene, that the mainstream rap scene was found, sounding like at the time. Um, and and so Mike's quality there really came into the fore. Um, and when you combine that with the the rage of of, of Chester's vocals, um, it really worked incredibly well. Because you know that kind of lightning in a bottle feel of these two elements wouldn't necessarily work, but this band have they've got this incredible formula together that works perfectly as as one unit. And that like I I don't know if I could off the top of my head I couldn't name any bands that had like two vocalists in that way at the time. I guess like maybe Blink One Eight Two would be a nice example yeah, yeah i take it back mm. so yeah there is <laughs> another one but like yeah at the time that sort of blew my mind and i i was new to music as a whole so it didn't seem like a strange idea to me like i uh, yeah like was everyone else's second vocalist as opposed to it being a um a different idea but yeah i think i always uh like sided closer with mike i just sort of like enjoyed his style a lot more than chester's and um looked up to the idea that he would just sort of do whatever he needed for the songs to work, whether he was like playing guitar in some of them or like in uh, one step closer, he was just sort of like bouncing around for a bit and then just coming into the chorus. Like he could have probably played guitar in that song, let's be honest. But yeah, I don't know. He's a good dude. Yeah, for sure. He's like, he's like a hype man, but a hype man who can do everything. Yeah. yeah and- Army knife man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, the, what what's great about Mike as well is that he does so did so much behind the scenes with Linkin Park as well, where you know the writing, the production, everything like that. He had a finger in all of the Linkin Park pies, um, so to speak. Um, and and I think that kind of um, that kind of quality and that kind of um, just sheer determination and and hard work really comes across in the rest of his projects as well. So you know you've got things like Fort Minor um you've got do you remember the executioners as well was that a rap group um yes it was like um 
it was it was uh, sort of a DJ crew, wasn't it? And then they they did various other things, and they had that one very very big song. Um, um, yeah, in the um, in the new metal era where they had Mike Shinona rapping, they had uh, what's it? Wayne Static from Static yeah, X, yeah, from oh, Static yeah. X, uh, very very tall hair. <laughs> and it was uh, yeah, that was a that was a great um, that was a great. What song. was that song called, Rob? That's gonna drive me nuts oh, now. Oh god, I, yeah. I just remember the video. <laughs> the, the camera kept like going around in circles over the top of the DJ. That was it's, very exciting. Uh, it's it's going down. That's it's going it's down. Called, That's it. Yeah. Oh. yeah. The rhythm rejects sound. The next sound. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a track. Yeah, and it's brilliant. And and you know, I I really respect him a lot as an artist. And I think you know, um... you mean Wayne Static? <laughs> of course, I mean. <laughs> um, of course, I mean. I, I mean Wayne Static. Who else would I mean? Um... <laughs> yeah. No, Mike's good. Mike's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a great guy we could we can all agree on mike yeah 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 so uh just like on the timeline so they did hybrid theory and then they did that fucking dvd which i took very seriously as a child i watched that so many times there was like a hidden menu where like you knew that it was the hidden one because the ends and the Lincoln Park logo hadn't been reversed. And that's when you hit play and then you got like bonus content. It was like them playing a place on my head, but it was old lyrics. Anyway, it's a story for another day. So they did that. Then they did like a whole remix album. Yeah. And I feel like that was one of the first CDs that I ever got, like, you know, like after Hybrid Theory that I just played the absolute shit out of, even though I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, like, yeah like a it was did you listen to that did you listen to reanimation yes yeah i i had it back in the day um and um it's interesting because it was so sort of electronica and hip-hop heavy and i think it probably acted as a really good big gateway for people who were mainly into guitar-led music and metal into listening to other kinds of music um where oh i really love this album and they've done this remix album of it and it sounds very different but it's still songs that I love played in a different way. And so although a lot of it, I wouldn't say that a lot of it worked. I think it was very, very hit and miss. But what it did was it introduced people to different genres. It took people out of their comfort zone. And also it it boosted the um, the voices and the talents of lesser known um, artists into the mainstream in a way that, you know, it's, it was a really bold move from Linkin Park to do it. And yes, it came off the back of the the best-selling rock album since Appetite for Destruction, so it was kind of always gonna it was kind of always gonna sell by the bucket load. But the fact that they were, they were willing to take that risk rather than just push out something a little bit more um, convenient was a, a, a noble thing to do, I think. Yeah, I felt exactly the same as you, Ben. Where like I felt like I I was a bit confused by it, and I wasn't really sure what it was about, and I don't know that I fully understood it. But I'd never again. I, similar formative experience i'd never really understood the concept of a remix or kind of those kind of collaborations with people with other artists and with yeah hip-hop artists and electronica artists and whatever and to once again be like oh back in my day but kids these days don't really understand how tribal everything was then and how you know if you bought an album like that on cd or you had a dvd you would play it to death because you you couldn't just go on the internet and listen to everything all the time. You had to, you had to buy it. You had to pick up this stuff. And if an an, al- an artist you loved 
came out with a new album like that you were gonna play it to death and yeah it opened me up to so much other music and to the idea of like reworking songs and stuff about producing songs that I'd never had any clue about and people were so tribal in those days as well weren't they it was all like oh you're into guitar music or you're into hip-hop or you're into skating or you're you're a grunger or a goth or whatever and it's like today there's a statement as well from Linkin Park to say we're not 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 in like an antagonistic way but we're not like corn or someone you know we're we're genuinely we're going to open our music up and we're going to remix it we're going to bring in all these interesting elements and like this it's not as homogenous as people think yeah i agree i like one of my earliest memories of that was like um my dad's car he just got a new car it was a toyota camry and it had a cd player in it and I was smashing that reanimation album and my sister was in the back seat and she was like, listen, if you're going to play Linkin Park, at least play in the end, the song that I knew. And I just like put on the, the remix version. She's like, what is wrong with it? <laughs> <laughs> is she older than you or younger than you? Yeah, she's older than me. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. She'd be close to your age, I think, Patty. Either way. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we were born in 88, me and Rob. So we're not that much older, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Either way, like that, those couple of years when you're first discovering music, are like that may as well be like a fucking decade. Like it's, yeah. Um, did you, what other remixes did you like from the from Reanimation? I I really enjoyed the one for With You. I like I I honestly haven't thought about this in particular in in a, in a little while, but I remember really enjoying like there was an extra little verse on With You, and then there was I don't know there was some other stuff. I'm having to look at it now to remind myself. I think the one of points of authority I remember really liking. I think it opened really strongly. Yeah. And- just, just a little note for you, Paddy. We're going to talk about orgy at some point on this podcast. Yeah, you I'm keep very saying. excited. Very excited to talk about the band Orgy. And the lead singer of Orgy appeared on the remix of Points of Authority. That oh, that's love. that guy, right? Okay. Ah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think Points of Authority was was probably the strongest for me um, as well, and and yeah, the With You one was was great um, too. Um, again, it had that kind of um, much more sort of, I guess, sort of hip hop feel to it, which which I really appreciated, and it was kind of I'd listened to a bit of that kind of stuff before, um, and but but this kind of cemented me as thinking, yeah, I don't just have to like rock music. I can I can like more than that. Yeah, yeah. That and um, that album in particular let a couple of older songs slip through as well. Like it had high voltage on it, which was off their uh, like their original EP. And then I think they ended up recording a different version of it as like a B side for Hybrid Theory. But at the time, that felt like a cool nod to me, who was who was up there on the on the forums, downloading the MP3s, um, listening to the old tracks. Yeah. I feel like yeah, uh, like high voltage is still, and this is this is going to sound terrible. It could be one of my favorite hip hop songs like forever, because uh, it's it's basically just like one of those songs that's about nothing. It's about like Mike <laughs> letting everyone know how good he is at rapping. So just let him rap because he's going to do it. Look look at all these metaphors he's doing about how good he is at rapping, and then it's the end of the song. Like that's that's perfect. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that as well. That's a great thing. And you don't get that in a lot of Linkin Park's music, which is actually usually more, I'm having a really hard time with this and it's really emotional, and I hope you are too.
Yeah, and it, it's very introspective, but it was it had a, a degree of introspection that I think we can all we can all get behind. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. then, so then Meteora happened. Um, with so when that came out for me, that was like the most excited I'd been about a new thing in a long time because I had like gotten into hybrid theory so hard. Um, and it, it just, I, I had no idea what it was going to be like. I remember at the time, um, they put out the single, um, Summer I Belong. And, um, I had like, I would just need to be near a television at the right time to hear it for the first time. I couldn't just like go and see it on the internet. But for a while on like, I want to say it was like LimeWire or Kazaa, um, a lot of bands were just like naming their single, um, or their demo or, or whatever, uh, Linkin Park, Summer I Belong. And I ended up downloading a bunch of really oh, weird songs no. from, yeah, yeah like, uh, are you familiar with this, Rob? Is this, is this drawing any uh, sense memories for you? Oh, yes. LimeWire, the the, 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 <laughs> the roulette wheel that was LimeWire. Will you yeah, get yeah, the yeah, song yeah. you want? Will you get a horrible virus? Or will you get some other random song <laughs> yeah, that's thrown out? Yeah um yeah no i i know that well yeah and th- there's all sorts of times where you'd be like oh i want to listen to this this artist i'll search for them and you'll download it and be like this is definitely not them and and sometimes the music would be quite good um so some of my um some of my favorite bands are ones that uh i i i ended up trying to download something else on limewire and then finding something entirely different and eventually working out who it was so um there's this really good band called uh, boom boom satellites who i don't know if if either of you know um so they're this electronica group from japan um and um they uh they're really interesting and they mix in the odd elements of sort of um shoegaze and rock as well here and there um but uh but yeah a load of their songs from their 1998 album out loud ended up being um being like dubbed various different things whether it's the prodigy whether it's nine inch nails uh whether it's uh sneaker pimps was another one one of their songs ended up being put as them um and eventually when i figured out who they were it's like oh okay these guys are great and they got on to become one of these bands i listen to quite regularly um so yeah limewire you might have ruined many a computer (laughs) but i may have i may have yeah i so a little while ago um i i had this song stuck in my head um and i couldn't uh, I couldn't work out why I knew it or what it was. And I think it was one, or oh, I know now, um, it took me a while to work this out, but it was one that I had downloaded when I thought I was downloading Somewhere I Belong. There's a song called Picture Frames by a band called A Fallacy. Is this ringing any bells for you? No. Because it like got pretty big just from people downloading it, thinking that it was thinking that it was Linkin Park. And I eventually found it on YouTube, uh, like just by searching that. I like, I am very happy that I remembered what it was called, but like all the comments were just people being like, I only know this song. Cause I thought that it was going to be somewhere I belong. <laughs> and at the time, like, I didn't know any better. Like I, I, I didn't know what it sounded like. Um, so I was like, yeah, all right, I guess this is a new direction for Linkin Park. There's no rapping. Um, mm-hmm. Chester sounds completely different. I guess they got acoustic guitars now too. But, <laughs> Yeah, there you have it. But I think with uh, with Meteora, like uh, sorry, Meteora, my dad picked it up for me, and he picked me up from school. Um, I would have been in uh, like year five, I'd say, at that at that age. And um, I put, it, I remember, like I was listening to something else in the car, and he's like, "Do you want to put it on? Like we can listen to it." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. This is for at home." And he's like, "Come on, like maybe maybe you should." And then I was like all right after i had been listening to something else um and i put it on and there was that intro track that was just like someone hitting something with a hammer and then it went into um don't stay 
And then uh, my dad was like, you know, he, he knew I was having a good time. Um, and I was just like, oh. And then uh, we arrived home. And then I had to go and start again. Oh. But it, it, was, it was pretty great hearing, um, hearing that bit with the hammer uh, in a Toyota Camry as a, as a young lad. But I, I remember being very confused by seeing reviews about that album. People sort of criticizing the band for just doing Hyper Theory again um, and not really like growing as an artist and i was like but it's okay like hybrid theory was good we can just have more of that um yeah that that didn't really click with me at the time how do you feel about that yeah i thought that's i think that's a pretty unfair assessment really there's there's some truth to that in that it's it's similar but a lot of it i think is like hybrid theory 2.0 especially numb which i think is my favorite linkin park song that's like in the end leveled up 10 times i felt like it was more like crawling leveled up to be honest, I think it, it had like a very, very similar structure. I remember like when I first listened to the album, I remember thinking like, oh, it's crawling again. Um, and I would just refer to it as crawling because um, I didn't know that it was called Numb yet. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, uh, it lev- leveled up on like the emotion of all those, both of those tracks, I think, actually, and Hybrid Theory. But, but yeah, to me, it had that, I connected with it in a similar emotional way to in the end. And I felt like, wow, this is actually saying a lot of what I, yeah what i'm feeling about being a teenage boy (laughs) yeah it's hard being 11 as well (laughs) (laughs) but i think um faint as well is a song that people don't i think that's a bit of a departure from some of the other stuff especially with that string intro that's like a real pop hook sample that they they had that was a i think even more radio friendly than some of the stuff on hybrid theory and was a massive hit and i think people hear the opening strings they don't even realize that that's linkin park anymore i think yeah and it's very fast as well. Like I, I remember being really surprised at how like you could actually dance to it if you wanted to. Yeah, you could get down to that in the club. And and I think it's a, it's a real sign of them expanding on what worked about the first album. So I think yeah, yeah, Meteora sounds a fair bit like um, like Hybrid Theory, but they they were pushing the the barriers of of what was working well about it so you've got that great um string sample in faint that sounds like the beginning of a pop song you've got uh nobody's listening um which is basically a a hip-hop track you know and then there's a a little bit of muted guitar in the chorus but apart from that it's very much just a hip-hop song um you've got heavier moments like hit the floor is heavier than anything that was on hybrid theory Um, that's true and so I think they were they were expanding their horizons a little bit, but still within the framework of of what worked about hybrid theory. And I, I don't I don't like Meteora as much as hybrid theory, but I think when I think about the songs that I really love about it, so um Lying From You is is possibly my favourite Linkin Park song. I really love it. There's just something about that chorus that that is wonderful to me um i agree rob i think it's my favorite yeah. one as well oh excellent I a, excellent i had a feeling that was going to come up and i had to really think about what my favorite one was but um sorry i didn't want to derail you we can talk a little bit more about lying from you if you want but um just continue that thought <laughs> yeah, no yeah um yeah there's it's it, there's something there's something wonderful about about the chorus to that song i think that it works so well together um and um it's got everything that that works well about about Linkin Park. It's got that brooding element. It's got the really strong, catchy chorus. It's got really interesting guitar work as well. It the chord progression in the chorus actually goes down a notch from where you think it's going to go. Um, yeah. So they they put a lot of interesting work into it, and also it's under three minutes long. 
you know they they pack all of this into into like two minutes and 50 seconds which is just oh they knew what they were doing it. yeah yeah um, i think and that it actually has a breakdown as well like that's a surprisingly heavy bit at the end like that was that could be a hardcore song if you t- if you got rid of the um that little electronic bit at the beginning <sighs> yes, i feel yeah. like and i i don't want to jump too far ahead but i feel like that uh is like the highlight of the jay-z album for me as well like that mm-hmm. line from you remix yeah anyway sorry we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to that um, <laughs> yes yeah the, but, but yeah they got breaking the habit as well yeah that's that's a really that's a really um again it's a, it's something different it's much more um again it's very poppy it's very um and and very different from what had come before it um and i i i think I mean, we'll talk about the potential decline of Linkin Park in terms of, you know, they still sold incredibly well. They still had loads of fans, but maybe they lost their place. Maybe they lost their place in terms of cultural relevancy. Um, and, and I think you can kind of see signs of that in Meteora where they're going down the more pop centric route. I think songs like Numb, um, the sheer success that Numb was. Um, as this milestone of of what music was about at that time and that era, um, particularly the huge success of the Nam Encore um, collaboration with Jay Z, um, I think that kind of ended up defining the route that Linkin Park would go down, um, which is maybe a little bit of a shame because after that point they never did anything necessarily as heavy in the same way or as abrasive in the same way that that meteor and hybrid theory were but it it's a real testament to their quality that they even reached that milestone point in the first place where no other band of the era really did yeah yeah I, well I, I think like there are a couple songs on meteor in particular where uh mike is just like oh shit what do i do because there's like no spot for for rapping i'm thinking of um you know the one where he's like, "If I could change, I would take back the pain. I would replace every wrong move that I made. I would like that was, yeah, not the same thing as him having like two verses in every song and then Chester's on the chorus and then um, that sort of formula. And I, I, I feel like that was a big part of them changing in the later albums is that they didn't know what the formula was anymore um, and were sort of like grasping at things to see if they would work. Which is, you know, symptomatic of the whole the whole genre just not being a mainstream thing anymore because it was it was really short lived. I guess the period we talk about most in this podcast is, as you say, sort of two thousand to around two thousand three four, and then things really did start to start to break off. So I guess that's more symptomatic of that than them necessarily losing direction. But um, yeah, I, I think they were they were obviously trying to do things differently, and they'd had huge success. And I think the the album the collision course album or kind of short album as it is was very successful as well and i think did probably make people sit up and go okay actually linkin park are still interesting and doing really interesting things and collaborating with jay-z who is like massive again that that kind of helped to keep up that energy up when if you look at bands like corn they were already on the decline at that point or at least rob hates everything they made after 2002 (laughs) (laughs) i I don't hate it but i think for me at least i i'd been a big fan of linkin park um they were for a while i it's it's hard to pinpoint a favorite band from that era um but linkin park core nine inch nails deftones were up there for me 
as kind of interchangeable as as being being the bands during that time period in my life that I really appreciated. And um, two of them I listen to all the time still. So Nine Inch Nails and, and Deftones are bands that I listen to regularly. Corn. After we did the episode on Corn. Uh, I think I'm going to put them back into regular rotation, actually, because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, it's held up much better than I thought it would. Um, but, but I think by the time that, and by the time that 2007 came around and minutes to midnight, um, I, I was intrigued to see what was going to happen and my musical taste had changed a little bit or maybe not changed, but expanded into other, other areas. Um, and then when the, when the, um, when the first chorus, uh, when the first single came out, what I've done, I thought this is good, but it's a bit tame. It felt, it felt much more sedate than what had come before. And I think that, that kind of, that it didn't have the excitement around it that previous things had. And yes, Linkin Park had always been mainstream and always been successful, but there was still that element of feeling like an outsider. And I think from, from minutes to midnight, onward that that outsider um feeling kind of went from their music and i think for a lot of people that's kind of when their interest in the band started to slip as well yeah no i i yeah i get you it was like that for me as well because like uh, once again i am a couple of years younger than you but like after like i'd say like right when the jay-z album came out i just started listening only to punk um and then by the time 2007 came out, like that was probably the peak of me, like being really into hardcore, um, like specifically Australian hardcore. And then uh, like I listened to Minutes to Midnight like a couple of times out of interest and out of like respect for my 11 year old self. And I remember thinking that um, there are a couple songs on there, um, like No More Sorrow, the da, 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 yeah, where that I was like, oh, this is surprisingly heavy, but like. I, I didn't need to get that from Linkin Park because I could listen to um, a band where it's not a surprise. Yeah. Um, and then I, I really sort of fell off, fell off. But um, just if we could bring it back just like a, a, a tiny, tiny moment. Um, I feel like the Live in Texas DVD was like mm-hmm. a huge deal to me as a kid. And I made my parents watch it so many times. <laughs> I remember my dad pointed out that um, they had filmed two concerts because uh the amount of sweat that chester had on him kept changing in between takes and i was like no 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 <laughs> surely not but i uh, he's correct and uh, uh but i i remember like quite clearly i was um you guys had hmv in the uk right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we had we had a shop called sanity which was basically the same thing and um i remember walking into sanity wearing um that like bootleg lincoln park shirt and like a lincoln park sweatband and i was like hey do you guys still have that that new lincoln park dvd and they laughed at me but then i bought it and um <laughs> i like specifically got the um the, the one like it, it was the same thing you could get it in like a cd case or a dvd case but it was the same content and i got it as a dvd case because i had just gotten a dvd stand and it was like all i had was like uh spider-man um daredevil and the other lincoln park dvd about <laughs> oh, <Daredevil>. um, <laughs> yeah oh what a film that had a bunch of new metal songs on the soundtrack didn't it we talk a lot about how new metal new metal bands were on loads of film soundtracks at the time which is something that johnny pointed out on the deftones episode but yeah daredevil wow i'd forgotten about daredevil valentine which i actually watched like a, a few months ago because i love david boreanis 
And um, yeah, he was right. There was, um, I can't remember which song it was, but it was like one of the softer Deftone songs was playing in the background of this like insane uh, art installation with all these like sexy photos in it. And it worked. Like a lot of Deftone's music is really sexy, but they played points of authority in the background of like a cool party. So you knew that these people were really cool because they listened to Linkin Park. So I mean that was pretty cool, um, but yeah, I'm sure they were probably on the Daredevil soundtrack. I guess like it, like Evanescence, like that was the yeah that was the star of that whole show. And I feel like uh, that whole like you know what song I'm talking about, right? Like the Wake Me Up, like that. Yeah. That can't wait. Yeah, yeah. That that guy in the video with all the necklaces, like he wasn't in the band. They just got him to be there. I'm assuming because like their their label was like we got to get a, a Lincoln Park in there you need to have someone to, to like talk fast while the lady's singing good <laughs> and I, I yeah I, I can we talk about that about yeah. how like uh, a lot of there was a lot of pressure on people to be the next Lincoln Park because they were going mm-hmm. so hard like you know crazy town yeah yeah come my lady come come my lady you're my butterfly uh, yeah they're a new metal band but they had that one song that was like yeah like, but as you, as you say, were, people were trying to set them up as the next Linkin Park, and it wasn't what they were wanted to do. Well, when I was when I was a, a wee lad, and I was watching Channel V, which had a couple of that's like a music video channel. It's I get it wasn't really our Kerrang, but you, yeah, we had like rock shows on that. They had a song called Drowning. Are you familiar with this Crazy Town's Drowning? Yeah, it's yeah. not on Spotify. I feel like they're trying to like push it under the rug because it's just crawling. It's crawling again, except it's like Crazy Town's doing it. And they're allowed to talk about drinking because they're not Lincoln Park. That's, yeah, it's rough. Like, it's similarly, and I know, sorry, I know that I'm talking a lot, but this is, I, I now, like, I'm noticing it everywhere. You guys know about Hip Hee, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Never thought they were that great. Um, uh, maybe, perhaps you can get me on for the Hip Hee episode then. But, like, they're, um, uh, I, they had, like, a, a, like they started off being like they were just a hardcore band with rapping and that was very obvious at the beginning but like uh when they started working with whoever their record label was i know like i'm talking a lot about the music industry like i understand it and i don't but like i could feel that as well they were like when are you gonna have your in the end um and the band were not into it at all like they they were like really cleaning themselves up and like like writing non-explicit versions um of like all of their songs and i i feel like it's because of that like it was the lincoln park effect yeah, more yeah, so than the Limp Bizkit effect. I mean, like, because Limp Bizkit could swear all they wanted. I don't think anyone was looking <laughs> yeah. for a, a second Limp Bizkit. <laughs> no, <laughs> no one needed a second Limp Bizkit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, g- going back to Crazy Town, it was interesting because, yeah, they did that. They they had their first album, which had Butterfly on it, and it had the other one. I've forgotten the name of it. <laughs> they, had a, they, had a, they had a second song. They did. Yeah, the other one. Um, yeah, the other one. That was its name. Um, which also did pretty well. I seem to remember it had a music video, whether at a pool party or something, because every band of that era who had to show that they were masculine had a video at a pool party at some point. Um, and, um, and, but then, yeah, they released Dark Horse, their second album, and it was clearly very much more maudlin, Linkin Parky. They had more guitar on it. Um, and I'm just looking this up now. Uh, it peaked at number 120 on the Billboard 200. Right. It sold less than 13,000 units in its first week. Um, so I think that's a real sign of the music industry being like, 
oh yeah you've got to go do some new metal you'll make loads of money no you won't um you've got to you you've got to you've got to have the quality to back it up and you've got to be in the right place at the right moment so i mean i've not listened to the whole album i do remember that one song drowning um but i so i can't say if it's a good album or not um but what i can say is that sold really badly it yeah. worked on me as a kid i like i remember seeing the music video for drowning and i was like this is it this is basically lincoln park i'm in i didn't buy the album but because i was 11 but like if i had the money i did today would have been straight to straight to hmv to pick up what is it called the dark side uh dark horse okay yeah <laughs> This episode brought to you by Crazy Town's Dark Horse. <laughs> yeah, sponsored. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Um, cool. So, yeah, sorry. So that, yeah, that live DVD, I was like, um, I was listening to it on the way, uh, like walking to do this recording. And I remember really appreciating at the time because this wasn't really part of my vocabulary as um an appreciator of music but like the guitar tone was quite different uh, on the albums and you could hear everything differently the way that they had mixed it um for the live one and that like i i got really excited about that there are a bunch of times where they took elements from the remix album and then worked them into uh the way that they did their songs live as well too like um they they basically played like the remix version of pushing me away live um except they put like more like chuggy guitars in it and i remember i was like um it was like my last day of primary school what do you call it in the uk like grade school like before yeah, you, yeah, yeah that one yeah, okay good yeah. good i can we can all breathe a sigh of relief we got the same word for it but i remember <laughs> being like this is fine maybe i'm never going to see these people again because i'm outside of the pooling area for their high school but it's fine i'm cool and then i went into my dad's camry and then that song was playing on the cd player and i was just like yeah fuck <laughs> Time's tough. Maybe I am pushing him away. <laughs> so the big question is, did either of you guys ever see Linkin Park live? Oh. Rob, you go first. I, I did not either. I, I've never seen them live. Yeah, I don't know how. It's just because obviously I did really love them for a time. But I think by the time we started going to shows, um, I started going to shows around 2003. And yeah, I just kind of, I was seeing a bunch of other bands like Metallica and CKY or whatever. But like... I I went to see them. Oh, I did, but like no, Linkin Park somehow. Yeah, I never got to see them. Ben, did you I didn't them? get to see them either. They um, I believe they played in Newcastle once when I was like very very young. So this would have been like before Meteora even. Um, and they played at like a football stadium, and I I like I was helpless to do anything about it. I think I started going to gigs at like like I said gigs like concerts where I was like sitting down. Um. At, like 2004-ish. The first band that I saw live was The Offspring. Nice. So that was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I missed it. And then um, when like one of their like later albums uh, came out, they came back to Newcastle to our largest venue. Um, like usually like uh, like touring bands don't necessarily come here if they're that big. Like they'll just do Sydney and they'll play at like an arena. But they, yeah, they played in Newcastle and I was in a terrible band at the time. And they were playing without a support act. And I um, was just like, you know, because I was an idiot, I was like emailing the venue, being like, "How about you get my band to play with Lincoln Park? That would be quite nice." Excellent. And uh, I didn't end up going, but that was that would have been um, maybe the like the album that has the bow and arrow on the front. I don't know. I uh, it's at this point in the podcast, fellas, that I reveal that I really fell off Lincoln Park after after that live album. Like I 
I, I gave the um the one where they're all standing in the rocks with the transformers album i gave that like a little bit of a listen but i was like i'm good and i i know like hardly anything like even um when i first spoke to patty about being on this episode he was like so are we going to talk about the um the jay-z thing and i ha- i don't think i'd ever listened to it the whole way through i was like well time time to do that um because yeah i was i was i was checked out at that point that holds up but like the jay-z album i i, I don't mind it at all there were some points that were like pretty funny based on like how good jay-z is at rapping and then he was like let's let mike have a go as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it reminds you that yeah ultimately the guys rapping in rock bands aren't necessarily the same as rappers Oh, heaven, yeah. heaven's no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember really liking that at the time. But also, like you, Ben, I completely dropped off again. I checked out Minutes to Midnight, and then since then, I don't, I haven't heard anything that they made since. I am afraid I did not do my due diligence for this show and listen to the later stuff. But Rob always does, so I know he's gonna. I know you're always gonna pull that out of the bag. So, Rob, tell us what the last couple of albums are like, and then let's get on to the rating because I have about fifteen minutes before I have to go make my son fish fingers. Oh, <laughs> that, that is the most important thing. So, okay, quick, quick roundup um, of of Linkin Park years 2007 to now. Um, <laughs> uh, Minutes to Midnight is kind of dull. Uh, Thousand Suns, Thousand Suns is also generally dull, but with some really good moments. So the song Blackout and the song Wretches and Kings are great. And they've got this kind of industrial quality to them, really sludgy guitar work, but it's almost like scattergun in its approach. So there's some interesting stuff from there. Um, after that, think though, of the, um, sorry, Rob, sorry to interrupt you, but what do you think of the album artwork on that one? Like, what do you think it's supposed to look like? Oh, the, the, the bird covered in Vaseline. Oh, Maybe. okay. I have no, I have no idea what it is. Um, you know, um, you know, Super Smash Brothers. Mm. Yes, yeah. So every time I look at that, I see it. I just see Mr. Game and Watch on that album, oh. and I can't unsee it now. And now I've done that to you, and I'm like, I can't apologize enough. But I, <laughs> I can't see right. anything else. It's great that you think it's a bird, though. That's very cute. All right, what <laughs> happened next? Um, and then after that, basically, um. Well, really, really, everything post-Meteora goes down the kind of electronic pop rock route where, yeah, they've got rapping. Yeah, they've got the occasional angry moments. Um, the hunting party has some moments which almost sound like punk, um, but bad punk. Um, no, no, they're definitely not. I, I remember that as well. Lots of people saying about how the hunting party was them getting back to angry, but it it doesn't really work because like i said it's very punky and punk doesn't match their skill sets like i think they're very very talented musicians very talented vocalists as well but they don't have that furious power behind them um to really make punk work and so yeah the hunting party i don't think is a is a great album um so what what's interesting though is to think about their legacy is um yeah they 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 turned into this pop rock band of electronica elements and the occasional bit of rapping. Stormzy appeared on their last album, um, for instance, um, which is a really good pop song. It's a, it's a really good pop song. And there's, there's elements there that are great from a pop music perspective all the way through their career. And there's a reason why they kept selling album after album after album. But when you think of their legacy, yes, Linkin Park, those early years were very formative for a lot of people and lots of bands will say that it, that that hybrid theory and meteor are very influential to them within like the rock scene within the electronica scene 
But I think their lasting legacy is what came after that is almost a precursor to bands like Imagine Dragons now, where you've got these huge pop rock bands, these huge electronic rock bands, where they would not exist if it wasn't for Linkin Park's later stuff. So even though they lost relevancy to us, I think they maintained... I mean, just look at their record sales. Look at how many stadiums they sold out. Bands who just had one good album or two good albums don't do that for so long whilst they're still making music, you know. Um, So even though they maybe weren't speaking to us as individuals, they were still, um, they were still, you know, making a lot of people happy. They were still creating this music that people really loved. And um, just to briefly speak about Chester's death, I mean, that hit me incredibly hard um, and it hit a lot of people incredibly hard. And, you know, Linkin Park are apparently going to be making new music again. They, they announced this year. Um, but I think there's it's going to have to be something very different because he was so unique and stood as this voice for a lot of people who weren't able to express their feelings. Um, that it's going to be a very difficult hole to fill in that band. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Not to downplay that but uh, what you were saying before about their legacy being the way that they influence other particularly like pop rock bands um do you listen to bring me the horizon much yeah i'm not yeah. a big fan but i okay but I, I do i do know their stuff quite well yeah yeah i because i i feel like um i i enjoy the idea of bands that used to be very angry and aggressive calming down and making uh like more sort of like weathered music like like probably my favorite band is ceremony for that reason but uh their most recent stuff uh like the last two bring me the horizon albums just sound like where i thought lincoln park would be now if they were younger i guess yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to describe but i um i was listening to um like i i, I like i don't have the good spotify on my phone it's only on my computer so i was going for a run yesterday and i was like let's see what lincoln park are up to after those two albums and i just put it on shuffle play for their whole um discography and i was skipping a lot of things like a lot of it was not um uh fitting uh with me like there was that one um uh i think I'm not going to try and sing it, but like it was another Transformers one. Like we're building it. Uh, that one, yeah. And I, I remember just sort of getting frustrated and then listening to Bring Me the Horizon instead, <laughs> and that <laughs> did uh, did what I was what I was hoping for. Um, yeah. So you, yeah, you're right. That's a beautiful way to put it. In that, um, it's not that they just did two albums. That, that like it's it's what the the albums that that turned into from other people. You said it better, Rob. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> um, so, right, Paddy, you've got to go. Yeah, go I do. So let's, let's rate Linkin Park. This is good chat, though. This is all really good. I feel I feel like, yeah, it's really always really nice to have a reminiscence to have to talk about that kind of shared experiences that we, yeah, we might have all had with them being such a formative band that, you know, for so many people. And it's important to, yeah, to recognize that legacy. But What's more important is to to rate them on our extremely meaningful and very definitive new metal scale. So, so Rob, remind us what the what the categories are. Certainly. So, I'm just booting up the supercomputer now to get this rating <laughs> sorted. Um, but just to just to remind you, all, as it as it boots up, you know, it's taking a lot of power. Um, we have riff quality, we have catchy chorus quality, theatrics, number of superfluous band members hair color and style variety goof factor and cringe barometer for 2020 
Um, so let's get started with riff quality. So out of 10, how do we rank I, I, riffage? I have a quick question. Are we talking about their entire discography or just the ones that we like? <laughs> so 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 i think i think with um with all of these um just because they have albums that don't have good riffs doesn't take away from the quality of the earlier ones so if just think about the we're, we're looking at the positives here slash the ultimate negatives depending on what the what the thing is so like when we get to goof factor we're looking at how the worst possible amount of goof they have but what's also what's the best amount of riff they have i suppose I yeah I think that they've got some pretty pretty good riffs like one step closer that's pretty mm, fun yeah um that that one bit that we were talking about from lying for you that yeah. was also very very good um yeah I, like would you count like the the little bits that they have at the beginning of their songs as riffs like is is crawling a riff yeah I'd say so yeah I'd say so yeah right. in new metal everything is a riff <laughs> you know the lyrics are a riff the drums yeah. are a riff yeah, yeah. um. I don't think they've got anything that's as strong as like just a, just as a point of comparison, like the opening to break stuff or something like that. But like they they have much a much wider sonic scale, so I don't know that they're necessarily going to be the highest on riff quality. But they def- that doesn't mean to say that they not they don't have riffs. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'd give them like a strong seven point five. Yeah, I go with that. We we gave Limp Biscuit an eight, so maybe if we go okay, over yeah. seven for <laughs> for Linkin Park, that's fair. And I think that's fair because yeah, like one step closer. That's uh, I'd say that's one of the standout riffs of 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 the era. Um, but for catchy chorus quality, can I be controversial and just go s- straight for a ten? Yeah, all right. I think Linkin Park are the kings of the choruses. Um, uh, that's high, but yeah, I'll I'll agree. It. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't, quite high, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think there's anybody else that touches them for for choruses in you know in, if you think of these mainstream new metal bands. Um, but theatrics, what do we reckon here? Oh, well, sometimes Chester would do a jump. <laughs> that was pretty good. And I think we we usually do count the videos in this as well. So the stuff where they're like, yeah, turning over in the sewer and stuff, I think does count towards that. So I think I think a, a seven or something is reasonable. The weird giraffe elephants of the video to somewhere I belong. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember that. like um, when like Numb the video for Numb was playing on the television. I would like call my family and I'd be like, I bet you think that this is from the soundtrack of a movie, right? And there's a clips from a movie. Well, wrong. This is just how good the music video is. They got that girl just for the just for the music video. So yeah, give it, uh, that's that's got to be a ten and a half. <laughs> ten and um, a half. Okay. Ten and a half. Yeah. I've, I've... Unprecedented. <laughs> so we've got a seven there for theatrics. Um, number, of... <laughs> Num- number of superfluous band members. I think this has got to be pretty low because yeah, they do have a DJ, but. Mr. Hart. He does do a lot. Does a lot, great. doesn't he? The one thing I would say is that sometimes it feels as though uh, their bassist is just not. God, God bless him, Phoenix. We love a man with a nickname on this podcast. Um, but I, I think bass wise, as a bass guitarist myself, I don't think that the bass work is particularly strong in Linkin Park and never really has been. And I know that there wasn't really that big element in, in hybrid theory, but you know bass didn't play a big role at all um but i don't think going on that it really became much so maybe a six for superfluous band members just for the baseline of them having a dj albeit one that does a lot 
but then having a bassist that doesn't do a lot. And then that, like yeah. there were quite a few times where Mike's like he didn't have to be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he could have gone backstage and had a cup of tea and come back. Yeah, like like you mentioned, easier to run. Where I think the thing that really defines that is how, on some of it, when he's doing the rapping for the second part, Chester joins in and starts singing, and you're like, "Well, you could have just had Chester singing. Mike could have had a breather at this point, you know." Um, so yeah, if we go for a six there, hair color and style variety, though. I mean, Linkin Park were the kings of that. Yeah, yeah. In the early days, especially, I loved it. Yeah, I I really wanted blue hair for a bit, even though I was ten years old. I was like, "Mom, you don't get it." Like I had to bleach it first, and then we'd have like because then if you put the blue in the like on the yellow hair, it would be green. So we'd have to bleach it real white, Mom. And she's like, "You're not fucking doing that. You're ten years old." So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that I didn't. But yeah, I agree. Um, good hair. Yeah, ten and a half. <laughs> so so can we go as high as a nine here? I think. I think Linkin Park are, are one of the standouts of it, of of, of having the um, having the good hair. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Is it, sorry, is, is it just hair or is it overall sense of style? Well, overall style, but hair is a, hair is the most important element, I think. Okay, um, okay, because okay. I remember Chester has those tattoos on his wrist that look like his hands are on fire, and that was I liked that a lot when I when I was a little boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. The flames. Yeah. 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 I thought that was scary. But then you got Mike with his big red hair, and I thought that was cool as well. Yeah, they, they had good hair. And also beanies. There was beanies being being worn. And it, what says more about new metal than, than the beanie? you got to love a beanie. Well, we'll get onto that when we get around to talking about Puddle of Mud, obviously. <laughs> of course, of course. And sometimes Chester wore glasses as well, so that was big for me as a, as a young boy with glasses. Mm-hmm. Patty, I'm sure you felt that too. Yeah, there wasn't much representation of glasses in new metal, so I really appreciated that actually. Yeah, yeah. That's he true. would like push the beanie all the way down so that the glasses would like push the beanie out a little bit. That was yeah. a look that I championed as a as a young lad as well. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent stuff. Um so go- up next we've got goof factor. Um so how goofy were slash R Lincoln Park? I think they've got a pretty pretty big amount of goof. But l- I think less than some other acts comparatively. I think a lot of their music was quite quite serious and um and quite downbeat in many ways. It had that level of introspection that pulls them away from being truly goofy. Yeah, I th- I think if you compare them to things like Limp Bizkit or Slipknot, where Slipknot Slipknot took themselves very very seriously as did Linkin Park, but Slipknot also wore boiler suits and masks and hit metal. Um <laughs> And had the spiky gimp man. And had the spiky gimp man. Whereas Linkin Park, I think I think for Linkin Park, the goof factor comes from jumping the shark in terms of being too serious whilst they've still got a man rapping over guitar. Um, so maybe around a six for the goof factor, where there's still a little bit of goof. But I feel like a lot of the goof came out like post the new metal period as mm. well. Like when they started wearing like vests and shit and like that the, there was an afro involved. Like, yeah, I... Th- I yeah <laughs> yeah yeah cool more goof and than then, people realize but i think, I think yeah. a six is reasonable yeah they're, they're not fred durst levels of goof because um, no that certainly man, not that man is goof personified um but we then move on to cringe barometer for 2020 so listening back to linkin park in 2020 how cringy did we find it uh 
I think it's fine if you're wearing headphones and people don't know that you're listening to it. But like the other day, I just had it on while I was in the shower, and then um, I got like halfway through the Jay Z album, and I was like, "What if my housemate hears this?" <laughs> and I had to get out of the shower and turn it off. <laughs> uh, and 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 something that I found when I've been when I've been working on these scores is I'm listening to them on Spotify, and every so often I am thinking, "What are the other people on Spotify who I follow thinking when they see me listening to Linkin Park for two hours or listening to Corn for two hours?" And so yeah, I think I think there is that kind of element of. I didn't necessarily feel too cringy listening back to the music. I mean, I, I did listening to some of the later stuff, which just didn't gel with me. But I did worry about people's perceptions of me listening to it, which I suppose plays a part in it. So maybe if we go for a seven here, did that sound fair for the for the cringe? Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. Can I throw something in there before we before we do our our final score? But um, I feel like today it's been very good for all of us in that we found that we all had a small connection in when we were very young. Um, it's, it's hard to put like a word on what that feels like, but a little while ago, uh, my housemate, his name is Jeremy. He's a very, very different person to me. He works in real estate. Um, so he's a real, he's a real people person. He has big, strong muscles. Um, he showed me a, like a skate video that he did, uh, when he was a kid. So it would have been like 2001 and it had runaway as the background music. And I was like, loving this like not not in like not under any layers of irony i was just like where like this is this is what connects us and he like looked at how hard i was smiling he's like yeah they're pretty good tricks eh?" and i was like yep yeah that's part of it but oh that's it big big shorts and run away nice oh man that that's yeah i i used to love those those trick videos that people used to do of, of skateboarding and or, or bmxing as well um Man, what do kids do these days? Do kids still do that? Do kids still go do skateboarding trick videos and and put put music over the top? Yeah, it's it's all on the TikTok. The, the TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I I love the 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 constants of youth such as that. <laughs> love it. Um right, okay, so I am now going to put our figures into the supercomputer. We're going to find out you know, this is very scientific. We've got to work out not what the best band is, but what the most new metal band is. Remember, this is not yep. creating a ranking for the best band, but the most new metal band. So if you'll just bear with me one moment whilst the computer does its work. I'm just getting the printout now. Yeah, that that's the that's the noise the computer makes when it's completed. It's it's working. It's David Draymond is trapped inside. That's why we've not had much of disturbed recently. Trapped. T R A P T. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've got our final rankings here. Um, so Linkin Park are seventy four point two eight percent new metal. Okay, that is a high okay. score, but it is not quite the number one spot. So Corner still number one in the rankings by a couple of percent they are corner still the most new metal band but linkin park have taken second place oh wow who okay. do you think is going to take him down who's going to take down corn if not linkin park i, don't mm. know. I reckon it's going to be a real piece of shit band yeah because <laughs> it's going to be like mushroom head or someone yeah like that, it's going to be like... someone like mushroom head or edema or, or, or spine shank or somebody like that who have not been thought about in an, at least a decade um, yeah. are going to be so high in the cringe factor. They're going to be so high in the goof factor, so high in hair color 
and superfluous band members that it's going to tip the sheer scales which is why the calculation of most new metal is so important we can't just consider bands that have a legacy or that are good we've got to we've got to consider how new metal they are overall so yeah so corn sitting strong at the moment but they they can't they can't rest too careful i think there's going to be there's going to be someone that we're only seven bands in there's yeah. plenty of other new metal <laughs> bands to get through my money's on mushroom head yeah i think mushroom head might be the ones that do it when we get onto the mushroom head episode they might be the guys to to really take them down sweet fantastic well yeah it's it's time for us to wrap up unfortunately i could i honestly could talk about lincoln park all day but yeah i said i gotta go make fish fingers so uh yeah but ben thank you so much for coming on man we really really appreciate it it's so nice to have another guest and to have an international guest and to hear about all your yeah, all your passion for, for Linkin Park. It was, yeah, it was really, a really wonderful chat, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yes, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really great to, to have you on. And um, really good to reminisce about Linkin Park as well. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to meet you, Rob, and to see that you have been lying down this whole time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really tracks with the way that you speak. Spoiler alert, I'm planning to lie down the rest of the day as well. I'm not going to move from this spot. It's a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in, as always. You can follow us on Twitter at PodDurst. Um, there's also a link in our um, our show notes description if you want to um, donate to us or give us money if you like what we do. No pressure, but if you like it, there it is. Any money at all is always good. And, yeah, stay strong. Keep it new metal. Keep it new metal, everybody. <laughs> yeah, keep it new metal. <laughs> Uh, Alrighty. Bye bye. Bye bye. Cut. Cut.